Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Well, hello. Welcome to show number 357 from Engage for Success. I'm your host for today, Jo Moffat. Um, and today we're going to be talking about the uh, importance of cross-generation communication training and to help us to explore that topic in a little bit more detail and see what we can learn from that and how we can apply those, those principles and, and, and thinking more broadly. Um, I'm very pleased to welcome our special guest this week, Jennifer Thompson. Jennifer is president president of Insight Marketing Group. She joins us from uh, a warm and humid Florida in the US, uh, although I think those of us listening in the UK are similarly sweltering in, uh, in our slightly surprising uh, weather in the UK at the moment. So um, welcome to the show, Jennifer. Good to have you with us. Yeah, thank you for having me, Jill. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's a pleasure. It's, I'm looking forward to uh, to the insights that you're sharing and uh, you're going to be sharing. And when we were talking in advance of today's show, it became clear that you and I have a have a very similar agenda in that we both think in terms of engaging audiences on not only the inside. Uh, the employee audience or prospective employees, but also um, engaging audiences externally uh, as well. And um, and very often, I think there are there are very similar um, uh, there's very similar disciplines and rigor that needs to be applied to the process, and, sh- and certainly the whole issue of um, generations and and communicating with them um, according to their needs is is something that's valid in in both those areas, isn't it? So um, so um, as far as our audience is concerned, Jennifer, I wonder if you could perhaps just give us a little bit of an introduction to yourself, both professionally um, in terms of your um, business experience, but I think also you you've you've done a fair amount um, in the in the public arena as well, haven't you? Yeah, I absolutely have, Joe, and I think I come to it um, just from a unique viewpoint and bring try to bring that background that I've got into the work that I do with my clients. And so I started my business way back in 2006, and, and for the most part, we do marketing for physicians. And a couple of years ago, we started getting into this um, kind of internal communications and training, as you kind of alluded to. And that was because we saw from a marketing standpoint that more and more the customer journey involved going online to look at reviews, making a, the the beginning of a purchase decision. And it Mm -hmm. was through those reviews and the analysis of 10,000 or so that that we came down to really identify some kind of key performance performance indicators within those trends would, um, that we needed to address at the business level so that we could have a better experience from the consumer side. And I got into this, um, like I said, back in 2006, and actually um, I was working for a very large shopping center developer in the United States. Um, I was heading up the opening of back then, which were open air shopping centers, which are everywhere in the U.S. And I was opening very, the, the largest one in the southeast U.S., they gave me an opportunity to run for public office. I went back in 2005, and I lost. I lost by 280 votes, and I just couldn't go back to work. And um, I, just, I just physically couldn't go back to work. And if you ever want to explore marketing and really like something from the start to the finish, political office and, and running campaigns, 
is a great example. And um, long story short, I, I couldn't go back to work on my own. And then I decided to start a business and people started coming to me asking if I could do marketing for them. And then uh-huh. a couple years later, four years later, I ran for office again and I won. And I mm-hmm. I just come out of an eight-year stint in public office where I was um, one of seven people responsible for about a $4 billion budget. And um, that's what I bring to the table. Right, right. Okay. Uh, so, yes, so quite a, quite a mix. And I, I think in your... Um, in your in your profile on the on the show page, you talk about how you working with physicians, um, you look to attract and retain patients, and and I love the phrase rock star employee. So tell what not literally, I hope. No, it just depends on the day of the week. I mean, these days you never know. Um, <laughs> really, it it comes down to it comes down to you know, the number one asset that any of us have are the people that we work with. And if you want to make a, a difference in your business, you need to start by looking internally. I think it was Richard Branson who said, um, if you focus on your employees, your, your employees will focus on your bottom line. I'm sure he wasn't the first to say it, but it really rings true for me. And, yes. you know, we, we, we're talking to medical practices all the time and we're saying, look, if you want to attract and retain more patients, then put some time and energy into the people that are truly engaging with your patients. Because doctor, as much as you think it's all about you, it's certainly not all about you. And, you know, it goes back to if you've got rock star employees, if you've got employees that are always um, understanding who the audience is, always kind of taking that next step, they will take care of your bottom line. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Absolutely. Now I couldn't agree couldn't agree more with that. So, okay. So, um, let, before we get into the to the real topic of this, um, every every guest that I've had on the show really since the sort of um, end of end of March uh, and the current situation with COVID nineteen, both in the UK and 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 more generally across the world, uh, we'd just take a few minutes at the start of the show just to sort of talk about the impact of that, what your take on that has been, what your take on that has been from a from a business perspective or from your practice perspective so um, I mean we're all we are all as listeners here very aware of the of the um, you know the horrendous situation that you guys are facing particularly in the US so that we've not been having a particularly good time of it in the UK either but how what's your take on uh, on the impact of COVID-19 around um, the workplace Jennifer so for our from our standpoint um, because we do work with medical practices not so much hospitals but what we refer to as independent physician groups um, mainly in the in the surgical subspecialties and so not like your primary care but maybe your orthopedic surgeon or your otolaryngologist or something like that so for us and for them um, the governors of all the states independent um, the federal government didn't do it it was the states themselves basically shut down any non-emergency surgeries, which meant all of their revenue flows were turned off in the early stages of the pandemic. And so from a business standpoint, um, we got very involved in virtual healthcare and telemedicine very early on within days of the pandemic, really, of the shutdown orders. And mm-hmm. it's forced, it truly forced our clients to... Um, kind of look at what they have historically, how they delivered care, and then pivot to be able to deliver virtual care. And doctors don't like to change quickly like that. And so it's really forced them all to kind of look in the mirror. And then because 
you know, there's so much overhead when it comes to running a medical practice in the U.S. Um, mm. Most of our most of our clients had to furlough just about you know upward of 50 percent of their staff when those when those surgeries were shut down. And so right. from the standpoint of communicating with employees, it went from the conversation being around how do we engage employees and you know, retain employees and keep them from going to a competitor during a full employment um, situation to how do we engage our employees while they're furloughed so that Mm -hmm. they come back when we're able to bring them back. And so the conversations changed very quickly, but more than anything, the pandemic forced everybody to kind of look in the mirror and say, what do I need to do from a business standpoint um, to make adjustments now so that I'll survive on the back end? Mm-hmm. And of course, in the U.S., we're talking about these private medical practices being 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 businesses essentially, who who are funded and run by individuals, and they have to they have to pay the overhead and they have to pay the you know all the, all the sort of insurance costs and all of that kind of thing. So, right, I I get you. And 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 in um in terms of em- it, it comes back to employee engagement, whether it's employee attraction in advance of the COVID-19 situation, as you say, in a period of, of well, pretty much full, full employment, um, to engaging your people who may be furloughed to, to make sure that they are going to come back. Um, and are they now, has furloughing finished, Jennifer? I will say most of them, um, most of the practices we work with, if they ended up furloughing people, they have brought them back because right. here the government um, put forward the Paycheck Protection Program, which was mm-hmm. really a very, the fastest in my in my lifetime that I've seen the government move, but very quickly made accessible dollars to help sustain you. I will tell you uh-huh. this, Joe. So my family owns a restaurant, and the restaurant industry has been hit very hard during the pandemic, as you can imagine. I'm sure it's the same in the yes. UK. Okay. So it, it's really forced you to start thinking differently. And um, on their side, because of the way that the unemployment program worked, they had a very difficult time getting employees to get off of the unemployment compensation to return to work. And so it really highlighted some of the disparities in um, kind of the wage gap throughout the United States because it employees were able to earn more not working during this period in some industries than they were to come back. And so a lot of those Paycheck Protection Program dollars ended up being used to bonus employees just to get them to to stay on board so that you could stay in business. And so it was a very different dynamic as we started crossing over different industries. Right. Interesting. How fascinating. I mean, I think it's, I think one of the common things between both the UK experience and the US experience has been when I talk to business leaders and business owners there's a general consensus that people are absolutely staggered at the speed with which governments did move to pick up the tab if you like in some of these areas and fund business and 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 you know basically be paying the, the wage bills of a huge chunk of um, of our citizens it's something that if you'd asked five years ago would the governments have, have done this um it would have been an anathema wouldn't it it, it absolutely would have been and I've always come at it, so I've always been, um, I mean, I'm an entrepreneur at heart. My family owns businesses, and, you know, we're small businesses. I mean, I'm only about seven employees. But I will say, you know, I applied for a Paycheck Protection Program loan, was able to get the loan, and um, 
I saw a reduction in my my top line revenue coming in significantly in March and in April, but I took that money and was able to squeeze out enough to pay the employees, but then we were able to use those dollars and reinvest them back in, in equipment purchases, in mm-hmm. um, bonuses for employees, and I've even ended up hiring two new people. I've got an interview today and an interview or a new person that started a few weeks ago during the pandemic. So where that those dollars didn't necessarily get spent, no. you know, exactly where the government thought the money is getting put back into the economy. Put it back into and, the system, um, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, reinvest. Absolutely. No, it's it's really very important. I think, and and, and I think I think it's it's fair to say that people. I, I would I would hope that it will be true to say that organisations and businesses who have taken that approach to say, actually, how can we leverage this to help us be in a better place from a business survival perspective I, and employment yes. opportunities perspective in the future will be the ones that succeed. I hope that will be the case rather than the ones. I think that we're going to come out of this. It. We're going to come out of this different. There's going to be there's so many opportunities. And it's just the opportunity may not be in the same place that you thought it was originally. Absolutely. And there's no, no, so many and opportunities. About, and is that not what is that not what entrepreneurship's all about? It's about being able to spot the opportunity, is. isn't it? <laughs> you probably saw so, in my bio. I get up at four oh, in the morning. Right. Well, I get up at four in the morning because the only time I like I'm so excited to get up because I see all the opportunity and that's the time of day that you really can make things happen. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You make me feel very guilty here, Jennifer. And I, I, you know, when I read that, I think, oh, dear, I can't possibly be an entrepreneur because I cannot get up at four in the morning to to ready. And I'd like I feel like ready to change the world, but it's not at 4 a.m., I have to say. I love it. (laughs) Anyway, we we digress. So we're going to be talking about cross-generation communication training. So um, thank you for that background and that context I think it I think it's very very helpful um can we start what what do you mean by cross-generational communication training are we talking here about employees and communicating with them or are we talking patients in your case or customers in in other businesses case or are we talking all of it can you just sort of position that that in context for us yeah, I think we're I think we're talking about all of it. I think that when we went into this, so I started an, a second business um, about two and a half years ago, and it was partly because we were looking at the data from employee exit interviews and online reviews, and we were trying to identify trends and whatever trends, um, what that data would tell us so that we can make improvements. And mm-hmm. it was through, as I was saying, about 10,000 reviews and a couple years worth of the exit interview data that we realized that um, communication is one of the biggest issues, whether it's teams not getting along, people not fully understand what it is that they're expected to do at work, or customers, patients in our in our situation, mm-hmm. but customers mm-hmm. um, not feeling as if their experience was up to par. And it really boils down to this person said the wrong thing or they didn't hear me or I didn't feel as if the, you know, they understood. And so mm-hmm. we put together a training program just for the basics, but more than anything, um, really using the training program as an engagement opportunity with the teams so that we could, the, as people became more engaged, they in turn became more um more loyal to the business and whatnot. And then it just kind of worked its way full circle. Okay. 
Okay. So what, what kind of differences did you have to train people on among the generations? You know, how, how, how would a, I don't know, 20 year old presenting to a medical practice communication needs differ in, uh, sufficiently for you to have to train people on it from say a, uh, a, you know, retired, a retired person. I'm taking both extremes really there. Absolutely. So I'll give you an example of, um, of something we dealt with just last week in my business. And so we hired somebody recently and he's probably in his mid fifties. And um, I would say a third of my team is in their late twenties to early thirties. And so clearly two completely different generations mm-hmm. and the younger people are very comfortable dealing um, with information and processing it at a very rapid rate. And they are very comfortable with using tools like Slack or Mm -hmm. a task management system that we use for remote, um, remote communication. And this Mm -hmm. new gentleman, he struggles with using Slack. And so we will have to say, if someone's like, have you heard from him yet? Nine times out of 10, we will have to pick up the phone and call versus being able to tag him in the communication channel. And that is not, that is not anything more than the baby boomer generation is much more comfortable picking up the telephone. Whereas the younger generation feels as if they are being intrusive by calling you and therefore they would prefer to communicate via text message or um, whatever the online tool is. And we Mm -hmm. see that play out in our businesses all the time. Why is this person calling me versus sending me a quick notification or um, in particular um, we'll have a patient, a customer who needs directions. Well, I would say, well, just Google it. But Mm -hmm. an older patient, especially someone maybe 70 plus, they want to talk to someone on the phone to, to, to confirm their appointment. They want someone to explain to them that you take, you know, the highway and then you get off at the exit where there's that gas station that you've known, the petrol station you've known about for years, then you yeah. turn right, go half a, half a mile, make a left at the bank, and that's where we are. And it's training people that there's just not so much how to communicate as much as there are different ways to, to communicate with somebody, and people also receive it at different levels. And so we have to keep that all in mind as we're trying to get whatever point across that we're trying to make. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, but – do you how would you how would you answer people who say well hang on a minute you're just putting people into into boxes and actually everyone's an individual um how would you address that challenge i um we haven't run into that yet as much as what we're what we've tried to get across is that there are different styles of communicating yeah. and there's and, do, and people have different preferences Absolutely. And every, yes, yeah. there's different styles of communicating and there are different preferences. Um, it's just some of them are really striking differences amongst the generations. And so, you know, understanding that everybody comes at something from a different place, including yourself and, and understanding that our, that our diversity in the workforce is what makes us so great as a team and just mm-hmm respecting that and allowing people the time that it's going to take to either get their point across or um, understanding that everybody does communicate differently. And, and you know, yeah. communication 
sometimes be the, the hardest part of anything that we're doing, and that's where the most misunderstandings take place. And so really it's just about saying that everybody communicates differently. The diversity is what makes us so great, and just mm-hmm. kind of understanding that and respecting it so that when you reach that roadblock in communication, that maybe rather than get upset or go down one path, you're able to acknowledge that everybody's different and that's how, that's what makes us so great. Hmm. And, and, and uh, absolutely. I mean, it's interesting that point about young, younger people feeling that telephone calls are intrusive. I also get the sense from, from um, some of the younger folk that I talk to um, that they tend to think, well, actually we only use the phone if it's an emergency. And the rest of the yes. time, <laughs> the rest of the time, it's te- it's SMS or it's WhatsApp or or whatever. And you know, God knows me, if if you ring them up, it's what is it? What is it? What's the matter? Uh-huh. Yes. So there's uh, there's that as well, isn't there? So so how do you go about what what how do you go about training people in this sort of stuff? What's the what's the format for delivery? So um, we we use an LMS, a learning management system, and uh, mm-hmm. we've taken our trainings and broken them into eight minute modules. And so we have a six part mod, six part training for communication within medical practices. And they're delivered in eight minute segments. Um, Mm -hmm. That's because medical practices are extremely busy. And so we want to make it super simple. So when we have a new employee that starts at a medical practice, they, um, we put the employee handbook, it's digitized into the training platform. So that's the first thing they receive. Then they receive their communication training several days later, and they are delivered the training over the course of about five to six weeks. And at the end of each module, they take a quick quiz. And then twice a year, there is a training workshop uh, where somebody comes in and does Mm -hmm. in-person kind of workshops that run parallel so that we can go through some scenarios and things of that nature so that we're always improving and always like just keeping it top of mind. Doing but even role plays and things. Mm. That's exactly it. more important, um, at least for, for the practices that we work with, is we're able to provide consistent training across the board with the method that we've been using. And that's because every single new hire goes through the same training. It's not like back in the day where you would bring somebody in to do the role playing or to go through a training course that would be half a day. And if if you happen to miss that day of work, you weren't part of it. And so now the training becomes part of the employee onboarding. So one thing that we do, Joe, um, kind of as an aside, is we've noticed this with COVID, is is how do you communicate with people when they were working at home? Or maybe you have, um, in our case, of an office with multiple locations. And we had several clients decide they would start using closed Facebook groups for employee engagement. So that they could say, here, look at me, I'm working from home, but don't forget, I'm part of the team. Mm -hmm. Or somebody else would be, I'm at this office, and you've probably never even been to this office because it's across town. And we needed to be able to use, to to get people kind of up to speed on the etiquette of using the employee Facebook group. And we were Mm -hmm. able to create a really quick training, throw it into the training module, so that all of the employees had access to the exact same thing. And before they were invited they took the quick online training. And so mm-hmm. it's delivered in module basis. And then um, we will often, mm-hmm. when we launch a new program, we will in, we will create an employee engagement, like an internal marketing campaign around yes. the training. And so that's what we do. 
And and tell me, do you um, when you you talked about how sometimes you have people actually come in and do face-to-face sessions? I mean, obviously that's slightly different at the moment, but yes. in in the, in the kind of normal course of events um do people then interact and meet with people who are working in other medical practices i mean or do you work very in a sort of very distinct manner yeah so we have um we 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 come in and we have a program that's in person and it's usually one hour over lunch so they'll come into the the existing business and then bring different members of different employees from the one business so they're not interacting with other practices, but they're interacting with people of different levels within the within their employer that so maybe they wouldn't one. have a chance to do. Yes. Yeah. And it's very yeah. hands-on in person. Right. Right. And tell me, how many are we talking small businesses here with with a handful of staff, or are we talking sometimes really quite sizable organizations with quite a large number of employees? The ones um, that are ever. It runs the gamut on the the online training. The in-person training um, is probably reserved for those businesses that have upward of 100 employees. So still considered Mm. small, but, you know, definitely not your starter ones. Yeah. 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 Okay. Excellent. All right. Interesting. And um, where do you see the future of this going? I mean, are you and how do you anticipate things rolling out over the next few months year are you are you planning for a, a return to how it all was or are you anticipating a continuance of this mixed workplace situation i think there's still going to be a mixed workplace situation um mm-hmm. for certain certain jobs within companies and um, the companies that i work for i i have a feeling about 20 percent will end up staying at home so employees is going to be more and more important, especially as, as whatever this new normal kind of evens out and, and we see kind of where the unemployment numbers are going to be. I think that now more than ever, we're going to have to find unique ways to keep our people on the same page and to make sure that the left hand knows what the right hand is doing. If communication mm-hmm. was hard enough back in the day, it will be, yeah. um, it'll be exponentially more difficult now. Yeah, yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? You can almost, you can almost always actually um, say that the cause of most uh, organisational problems, issues, challenges, customer, customer, you know, walkaways, whatever, is usually it usually comes down to poor communication, doesn't it? In one form or another. It always does. Always does. Business, marriages, I'm- personal, you name it. It's all, it all comes down to communication, yes, at the end of the day. It's communication, communication, communication. And I was going to say to you, um, obviously you're talking with, with, with a focus on a very specific area of business and work, the workplace. Um, but if people are listening to the show from, from wider uh, areas, and of course they will be, what, what would you say would be the sort of the key learnings that you would suggest people take away from what you've discovered is so important in the uh, in medical practices. I, I would say that sometimes we need to take a step back and slow down before we can speed up. And as it relates to, um, at least from my standpoint, marketing, employee engagement, training, things of that nature, that yeah. medical practices move very they move very slow, but then at times they move very quickly. 
And one kind of general piece of advice that, that seems to apply across the board is to use the data that's out there to tell you a story and then develop something that will help you address that data. And sometimes we have to slow down before we can speed up. And I think that those coming out on the other side of COVID did just that at some point in the last year or so as they've taken a look at, you know, what it is they can make improvements on, looked at the data, and then they're making those, those changes moving forward. Right, yes, so, which is exactly what you did. You looked at the data, looked at what, what it was telling you in terms of where the, where the problem was, and, and then set out to devise a solution to address that. Um, yeah, and, and interestingly, in, we've, got a, we've got just over a minute left, Jennifer, and I'm going to throw a bit of a curveball at you now. Um, if we were to take your experience in public office and in the political sphere and say, what, what one lesson would you say you've, the most important lesson you took from that that you now apply in your uh, marketing business, what would it be? There are more than there are more than two sides to every argument or everything out there. And so the key to being successful is to over prepare in every place that you can be. And right. people always ask me, what should I do? You should read, read, read and talk to people. Right. Right. So it's it's again, that comes back to. I mean, communication is part of that, isn't it? Because communication is a two-way thing. If, if you're communicating effectively with people, you are understanding their point of view, even if it is a different one to your own, and you're understanding why they may think the way they think. And, um, yes, and make never make assumptions. Familiar. Mm, absolutely. Never make assumptions. Very interesting. Lovely. Okay, so um, read, 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 and communicate, communicate, communicate seems to be what you're saying there, Jennifer. So we've come to the end of the show. Um, so thank you very much, Jennifer Thompson, president of Insight Marketing Group, for joining us today. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the show and um, talking with us about providing cross-generation communication training. So thank you very much, and goodbye, everybody. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.